Thank you, Clint. I want to ask all of you, uh, please open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. Again, Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. If you um, do not have a Bible, I, I want to make sure, I'm sure, I hope everyone here does. We do have a couple Bibles that we give away. If we'd be willing to give away one of the pews. So I just even uh, make sure that you do have one. And if you would be in need of one, please let us know and we will make sure we get you one as soon as we can. Um, and by as soon as we can, I mean as you leave today, all right? Um, so that text was fairly long, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to preach through it. I don't know that I'm going to necessarily be quick, but I won't go, go through text by text. So I want you to keep that open to reference because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're going to be concluding uh, the series entitled A Palpable Faith. Anybody remember what palpable means? Can anybody take a shot at it? You <laughs> so real, you could taste it. That's pretty good. Uh, something so intense, you could almost touch it. You can almost feel it. But then a second definition is something that you normally couldn't touch, now you can. And Hebrews 11 is a story of faith made palpable. I've been sharing with you um, how this is, an, this is an important piece of what, it, of what it means to be a church, that we must be a church full of palpable faith, faith that you can taste. I don't know, I might just roll with that for a while, Nick. By the way, Rod gave me permission, uh, he was kind of uncomfortable about it at first, but he did give me permission to announce his age. He said it is his 39th birthday today, so congratulations again and happy birthday to Rod. Um, also, I don't know if you caught what Joe said this morning. Um, uh, first of all, I had never sung that song before. That was an, a hymn that I think many of you have probably sung, Here I Am, Lord, right? I'd never sung that before, so that was a, that was a great song to hear for the first time in acapella. But as he came up, he said, I just spent 70 hours putting Christmas lights up yesterday. I've never spent 70 hours. So you have to drive by Joe's house sometime and see what 70 hours of Christmas lights look, looks like. When you do, you'll understand, okay? But thank you uh, for coming this morning. Thank you for, for, for serving and for singing. Next week, I do hope you're able to join us. I'm going to begin a series called A Big Family Christmas. And we're going to be together as a family. We're going to be talking... Uh, a lot about moving forward together and talking about the Christmas expectation, um, but it is going to be a, um, a bit of a kind of like a January series where we talk about our future together, and so I, I do hope that you're able to join us be, as we begin Advent next week and begin, I guess you can say officially begin the church Christmas season. All right, I want to jump in this morning. Um, if you, uh, by the way, if, you, if you're a guest to us or you're still new to our church, at the conclusion of this message, we will be taking communion. Um, all of our guests as brothers and sisters in Christ are invited to partake of communion with us. You are, of course, also welcome to pass. So we'll be, we walk down the middle of the aisle, we partake of the bread, we dip the cup in, and so you're always welcome to join us. You're also always welcome to pass, okay, if you would like to join us in communion at the conclusion of today's service. Today's message is called Palpable radical obedience. And we are going to talk about this guy, Abraham, in Scripture. So the, the, the word that I'm focusing on is the word we, obedience. We talked about Abel and, and Enoch. We talked about a witness. We talked about worship. Uh, today we're going to focus on the simple obedience of Abraham. And there is no question 
that these things that Abraham did were radical. They were, there were things that if any, if any of you here would say you were going to do, even as your pastor, I would probably say you're crazy. So let's examine and consider just exactly what happened in Abraham's life. But before we do that, let's begin with a word of prayer. Well, Lord, now as we open up your word, I have been reminded this week that it is your gospel that brings power. And not the, the oratory of a, a pulpiteer, but rather the anointing that your word wants to bring in these moments. So Lord, I pray that as your word has been read, as we examine Hebrews eleven eight through 16, we would be reminded that this word is here to speak to us today. And we have a responsibility with what we have, with what we will receive. It's not the responsibility of someone sitting next to us. It's our own. And so now, as we hear your word, may we hear it with reverence and, Lord, with the desire and the willingness to say yes and be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, so... As I begin, just as we've already read through, as Clint has read through that text for us, just to get it, you can throw all those up there, Nick. I was, um, I'm not worried about any of the animations today. You can just throw all the slides up. So if you want to begin to understand just how crazy what, what that Abraham did, um, guy is 75 years old. He is established, you, should, you could pretty well say, in about 75 years old, you're established somewhere. Now, what I mean by that, when you hear about the calling of Abraham, we're not just talking about one person. We're talking about a whole family of people around him. A whole, uh, uh, you know, almost like a small community. That's how much ancestors there at the time that, that Abraham had and, and he was connected to. Now, so it's not just Abraham leaving. It's a, a, actually a, an entourage of people that are connected to Abraham and I was studying actually this week and learning that Abraham's father himself had something to do with his transition as well. But nonetheless, Abraham gets a word from God. And it's, Scripture's not even incredibly specific how the Lord speaks to him, but he gets a word from God and he decides after 75 years, he's got all these things, he's become comfortable, he's going to leave and go to a place that's where? That I'm going to have to start all over? And imagine sharing this story with others. Why? Well, because God told me to. What God? Not our God, not the God that we've always served. So this was a uh, very strange thing that Abraham did. And not only that, by he, he, Abraham, uh, the Lord promises that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. <laughs> but it will be through a son that he hasn't given birth to yet. Well, he wouldn't give birth, but his wife Sarah would. And that wouldn't happen until he was 100 years old. They would, they would give birth to Ishmael through, his, through Tamar, but finally Sarah would finally give birth once Abraham was 100 years old. Now, so there's two steps of faith that are pretty crazy, but then you got this one that I hope you've heard about, or what also happens in the book of Genesis, is this child, Isaac, that Abraham finally gets, the Lord asks him to place Isaac on the altar as a sacrifice. So this child that he waited so long to get, now he is wrapping and putting rope around his son on an altar just like they would sacrifice in, in, in those times. 
and before the Lord tells him he doesn't have to because he's provided a ram. Once again, if uh, any of you walked up to me today before service is over and say, hey, I just feel the Lord speaking to me. Um, my, my kids kind of been bothering me anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and take them, and we're going to sacrifice them before the Lord, okay? I, I, some of you are like, you know what? I hear that, Pastor. <laughs> just the firstborn. Every, the other ones are okay. But no, but, the, uh, but I would tell you, yeah, you're crazy, okay? I think you, you, I think you need to stop. And I think you need to be more discerning. So it is really hard sometimes for us today, thousands of years later, to identify with the faith, the palpable faith, and the obedience of Abraham. So if you don't mind, you know, I'm afraid sometimes that when we read about people like Abraham, we lack the ability to apply these things to our life today. Like I said, I don't expect you're going to sacrifice your kids. I don't expect that you're going to all go leave and go somewhere and not know where you're going, not know much about the place because the Lord spoke to you, although I've seen those kinds of things happen. So we, what we have to do when we think about biblical obedience, I want to make sure we can make this story relevant today. And so instead of focusing on the radical, these crazy things that Abraham did, how about we focus on the obvious your obvious obedience. Because there's some obvious parallels that we can make from Abraham to our world today. So the first all, let's get the first one up there, um, Nick. From radical to obvious. It says, in, it says in, it, what, we, what we read in Scripture is that Abraham relied on nothing but the word of God. The word that he received. Church, you also know that you have received the word of God in canonical, beyond palpable form. You can touch this. You can read this. You can understand this for yourself. Many of you have heard the guy named Charles Swindoll. He shared a great illustration. He says, imagine, if you will, that you work for a company whose president found it necessary to travel out of the country and spend an extended period of time abroad. So he says to you and the other trusted employees, look, I'm going to leave. And while I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to the business. You manage things while I'm away, and I will write you regularly. When I do... I will instruct you in what you should do from now until I return from this trip. Everyone is excited and everyone agrees. He leaves and stays gone for a couple of years. During that time, he writes often, communicating his desires and concerns. And finally, he returns. He walks up to the front door of the company and immediately discovers everything is in a mess. Weeds flourishing in the flower beds, Windows broken across the front of the building, the gal at the front desk dozing off, loud music roaring from several offices, two or three people engaged in horseplay in the back in the back room. Instead of making a profit, the business actually instead suffered a great loss. Without hesitation, he calls everyone together with a fr- and with a frown asks, "What happened? Did you get any of my letters?" You. S- And then we would respond, you say, oh yeah, sure, 
We got all your letters. We even bound them in a book. And some of us have memorized them. In fact, we, we have all of these, we have letter studies every Sunday. And you know, these were really good letters. I think the president would then ask, but what did you do about my instructions? And no doubt his employees would respond, do, well, nothing. But we read every one. See, there's a danger that we have sometimes when we come to church every Sunday morning and we hear the word of God and it is something that becomes commonplace to us and becomes is something we hear often. We do jump sometimes and make a massive assumption that because we are hearing, we are obeying. Peter Forsyth said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its own freedom, but its master. Church, we have to recognize that just as the, the, the obvious step of obedience is Abraham relied on nothing but the word of God. This is what the Lord is calling us to be obedient to. And however long you have been a Christ follower, I hope that weekly, daily, however often it may be, you read something that is very uncomfortable for you. That you wrestle with and wonder, ah, this is what the Lord is calling me to do, but this is what I want. And have that spiritual experience of bringing your life under submission and under the obedience of the will of God. I could say so much more about that. But secondly, Abraham was an alien in a foreign land. There's a couple different types of Christ followers. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know uh, that the grace of God is so massive, I will never draw lines on what the Lord can and will do. But there's the kind of, of, uh, of a Christian that comes to church on Sunday, and church is a little uncomfortable. Because now I have to act a little differently than what I did throughout the week, and I probably shouldn't say certain words because, well, we're in church, and I probably should treat people a little bit differently. And so church is a little awkward. But then there's others that leave and go back to their lives and the culture around them that in many ways is in opposition to those very words, to the will and word of God, is a little awkward for them at times. And they feel, as Abraham did, is an alien in a foreign land. And church, I hope you've experienced the latter. Because that is the beginning of recognizing the power of the gospel in your life. That, wait a second, I'm diff- something in me is different. What I see happening isn't right. And I'm not going to get off and state my opinion on everything. But I, I do realize that I need to live in a different way than that is counter to the culture around me. This is obvious. Abraham, Abraham was an alien in a foreign land, just as we here today should be, should recognize that we are called to live in such a way that we feel like aliens and foreigners in a, for, in a foreign land. Now, I don't want you to just be, I mean, there's some, I hope you've experienced weirdness for the sake of the gospel. Not just weirdness for the sake of weirdness, okay? Like today, I, I, told, I told some of them I'd bring it up, and unfortunately, Putt's the only one here now, darn it. But it, it'd be weird to be a Browns fan, to continue to be a Browns fan after all of these years, over and over, and to continue to experience that loss. It would just be something weird. Now, the Browns play the Bengals today, so I always take some shot at the Browns on, on Browns versus Bengals Sunday. But 
We are called to live in such a way that is awkward, that is different to the world around us. Now, finally, and this is the point of today's message before I get into a few other things. Abraham passed on a palpable legacy of faith. Abraham passed on a palpable legacy of faith. Now, this is where all of this series ties together that I want you to get with me this morning. Honestly, Abraham has never been one of my favorite Bible characters. I like stories of guys like Enoch who walked with God and was not, and God took him. He was so intimate in such a way that the Lord Lord took him, and he he experienced that level of intimacy on earth. I like stories of David and how David did so much conquering for the Lord. I love to read about the miracles of Elisha and Elijah. I like the stories of the, 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 um, the apostles in the New Testament and all the crazy things that they did. Sometimes when I look back at Abraham, I look back and think, well, what was the big deal? I mean, yeah, he said yes to God, but what else happens next? Even some of you read through all of Abraham's stories, it's just a story of Abraham's relationship with God. As you get older, as I've gotten older, I've begun to, begin to embrace what exactly is happening here with Abraham. Whenever you read throughout the rest of Scripture, you, it, it's often referred to the God of three people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The conclusion of this passage that Clint read is said that someone like that Abraham never got to experience the things that were promised to him. He he lived in a place where he knew he was promised something, but he never got to receive it in his lifetime. The significance about Abraham is here was the first man of God that understood that it was his responsibility to pass on his faith. Abraham's faith had to be so palpable that he could pass it on to the next generation, that he could pass it on to Isaac's generation, that he could pass it on to Jacob's generation, that generation after generation after generation would remember the faith of their father, Abraham. See, as I was preparing this, I'm realizing this ties in all the, ser- the last two series, even the skit that we just did, that we, we have to figure out how to do this passing on thing. We have to figure out how to pass on a legacy of stewardship. We have to figure out, as the church of Jesus Christ in this world today, how to have palpable faith that we pass on to the next generation. See, Abraham had come to a point where he realized that that was the most important thing. He was promised a land. That was, that was his original blessing, that you will be blessed, and I'm going to give you this land, and then your descendants will be as numerous as the, as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He never got to see these things happen. But he realized it was his responsibility to make his faith in God palpable enough and share these stories, share these blessings lay his hand upon Isaac and lay his hand upon Ishmael and bless them and and, and anoint them and what they were called to do. And as Abraham had that responsibility, we have an, an obvious responsibility as well to pass on our faith to the next generation. I'm excited because next 
Next week, we're going to begin a, a series talking a lot about that, about how we can do some tangible things as a church to pass on our faith to the next generation. If you remember four weeks ago when I began this series, I began with a man named Cornelius. And I asked the question, how was it? How was it that when Paul, excuse me, Peter shows up to Cornelius' house, he begins to preach the gospel, and he doesn't need to give an altar call. He doesn't need to say, now, if you want to receive Jesus, say these words after me. While he is just preaching the gospel, all of these Italian Gentiles began to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and to begin to speak in tongues, which in that day was the evidence that the Holy Spirit had come on them. So how does that happen in that moment? All these people are saying yes to the living God. And the way that that road was paved, the way that that happens begins with Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout, and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Cornelius passed on some palpable faith. And so church, I want to share now what this obvious obedience looks like for you today. I'm talking about palpable, obvious obedience The kind of stuff that if you begin to do these things, others will see and know that the living God is moving in your life, that the presence of God is real in your life, and it'll be a testimony of of the living God himself, of Jesus Christ himself. And so I just want to give you a few things. First of all, your obvious obedient, your, your personal obvious conviction. There's some of you sitting here in this church today. I don't have to say anything more. You know, sitting here right now, what the Lord is calling you to do that you haven't done yet. You know, sitting here today, what it is you've wrestled with in this word that you just haven't done yet. That is incredibly obvious to you. I was talking with someone the other day. We always like to ask the question, How do you hear from God? Can you hear the voice of God in your life? And if so, how? I hope you remember this answer because the answer to that question is usually very simple. One, it begins with your obvious conviction. The thing that you know in your heart of hearts is like the Christian word we like to use. Something needs to change. Because if you don't begin to obey that, then what's the Lord going to ever speak to you again for? It's just words to, to be heard and not words to be responded to. We must be people that obey our conviction. But the second thing I always say is that the, whatever the Lord is speaking to you always lines up with his word. This is why the word of God is incredibly important in this season. So I want you to think about, even before I go on to the next point, your personal obvious conviction. The thing that you don't even need anybody else's help, you know what it is that you need to respond to. You know what obedience looks like in your life. If you're sitting here this morning and you haven't arrived at those things, I hate to tell you this, but ask some of those closest to you. Ask some of those that you trust because there's obvious observations from those you trust. 
Most of you that know you really well, could, if, if you're a Christ follower and they know what it means to follow Christ as well, they could probably tell you, yeah, you probably should work on this. You should probably begin obeying the Lord in this way. I would encourage you to take a step and connect with someone that you trust. We've been doing that together in our ministry leadership team. We've been considering what it means to, to help each other take steps forward and to kind of have each other's back. And I remember a line from one of my favorite musicians named Jason Upton who says, you've got your best man on your front side and you always show your best side, but evil's always on the other side. You say this is your strategy, son, I want you to know you look just like me. You look just like your enemy. You're full of pride. And while we're only letting people in our life see the best of us, uh, there will always be obedience. There will always be things that we are leaving behind, and we're always giving the enemy a a foothold into our life. Let's have some people in our life that we can trust and say, hey, what's what's some obvious things in my life that I need help, and I'm asking you to show me some things that I need to help take a step forward toward the Lord. And last but not least, if you allow me, if you still don't have anything, personal obvious conviction, obvious observations from those you trust, what does obvious biblical obedience look like for you today? I'll just be honest and I'll share a few pastoral observations that I've seen and that I notice in our congregation. Because if, if, if we don't address these things, then the obvious of palpable is contradicting. If we don't have palpable, tangible faith, rather than that, we have contradicting faith. That others and see that see well they act this way on Sunday but they don't but they act differently throughout the rest of the week. That's contradicting faith. Church, we're calling us. I'm calling you to palpable faith today that others will see and know that God exists because of the faith that I can almost put my finger on that you have in your life. So some obvious things that I've noticed just in our congregation and, and I know as I share some of these things that some of you will say, yeah, I, be honest. If I'm really honest, I see that too. There are many here that, that oftentimes harbor hate. It's almost as if they have a chip on their shoulder. They've just kind of got, somebody did something to them a long time ago, and they still want to tell everyone their story without telling their story. They want to share it through their attitude or, or through a certain level of distrust. And then sometimes they'll even go and put some of that darkness even all out there on social media so that everyone else can see These are some obvious areas of obedience that you need to come under the will of the Lord and let him be the Lord of your life. I've shared with you many times, I've shared with you, and this is my tangent, I probably don't even need to say this, but I've shared with you many times, I'm just not, never been personally a fan of Facebook. I check it about once a week. There's two reasons why, and I want to share this with you because I need your help. One is because I fear that it's oftentimes a substitute for the real thing. We're now calling these relationships when they're really just a substitute for a real relationship. And there's something that we begin missing when we think that this is what friendship is. But we, we, we can post something, our, some of our dark stuff online for the whole world to see and for other people to take shots out of us or get offended because we think people are ignoring us. Or we can actually talk to a real man or woman of God to help us walk through some of the deepest and darkest challenges in life. So that's one reason that it frustrates me. But here's the second one. I'm being honest with you this morning, church. I'm your pastor. And as a pastor, I have a hard time getting on Facebook and seeing people in my congregation um, saying things or celebrating things that 
I don't know if all of a sudden now it's my responsibility to go and call them out on that. And I've talked to many other ministers as well, and it creates an interesting paradox. But my point is that with this stuff, an area of obedience in your life may be to consider, are you expressing contradicting faith? Or are you expressing palpable faith in the living God? Another thing, whether it's unhealthy habits, whether it's drunkenness, here, there's some obvious areas of obedience that needs to change. Whether it's just simply gossiping, always having that story, always wanting to be in the know, and always wanting to share it with someone else. That's what the, whole, that's what the rest of the world does, and that's contradicting faith. But when we begin to uh, be, be men and women that can hold our tongues and actually speak of others with life and speak with them that we wish them well and we want what's best for them, Now that is palpable, tangible faith that others can see and follow that this and recognize that this person is different. And some it may simply just be spiritual apathy. Pretending that we care about the things of God, but really we don't. And really it's just a show. And some of us need to simply hear the word of God that maybe if if you haven't connected with the Lord, Today's the day. Today's the day to begin, to take a step of obedience and ask him a bold question that I did when I was 19 years old. Lord, what is it that you want me to change? What is it that you want for me in my life? What is it that I can do to respond to you today? These obvious, observable challenges are your opportunity for radical, palpable faith. Now, I'm going to ask at this time our deacons to come forward and prepare for communion. As they're coming forward, because we're going to start quickly, so deacons come on forward. I want to encourage you to not just let communion be a sacrament this week. See, this is a monthly moment when we remember the Lord, but we also return to the table spiritually. If you've noticed, that's one of my favorite lines to say every week. It's time to come back to the table. We're returning in fellowship with the living God. We're bringing ourselves back. And we're reminding ourselves that I still need to die daily. I still need to experience the sustaining life of God. Our death is a symbol of the cup and of of his blood. Our life is a symbol of the bread and his body. We need to be reminded that we're, we're, when we come and take a step forward, it's, it's an expression of us saying, I'm, I'm still coming back. The Lord is not done with me yet. I'm still taking steps forward in obedience. And so before we do that this morning, I want to encourage you right now, everyone in this room, to bow your heads, close your eyes, and prepare your hearts for communion this morning. Palpable, obvious obedience is not a message for the person sitting next to you. It's a message for you. What is the Lord already speaking to you through your convictions? What have you heard some others, if you, if you would allow some of those voices in your life that sting a little bit at times because you know they're probably telling you the truth, what have they recognized that you need to respond to? And all across this church, there, there's often patterns that can be contradicting. And if you're participating in one of those contradictory patterns. May today be a day where you begin obedience. 
Because that obedience that others see and notice a change in you is the kind of faith that we've been talking about the last few weeks. It's the kind of faith that gets passed on from the next generation. But for it to be passed on, it must be palpable. And for it to be palpable, church, it must be real. God, may we be men and women of God that don't just hear the words, but we rely completely on you. And to begin these steps, we begin with the most obvious. And so all across this room, I pray there would be people that that have heard your voice and are ready to say yes to you today. Now, church, as, as you're saying yes and as your heart is ready, you're invited to come to the middle and begin to partake of communion together. As always, I'd love to pray with you. If you would be in need of prayer, I'll be over here to the left, and it would be my privilege to pray with you and, and to journey with you some, through anything that may be going on in your life. So as the Lord lays upon your heart, as you discern what the Lord is calling to you for a simple step of obedience, I want to welcome you as you walk forward in communion to be your step forward of response to his will for your life. You, may now, you are now invited to come forward to partake of communion.
Father, as we conclude with a word of prayer. Lord, all across this room, I pray we would have great reverence with the truth that we must respond to the words of God. We must be obedient to what you are calling us to do today. Lord, I pray that voice of conviction, of observation, would be loud and clear. That we would be men and women that say yes. And when we say yes to the living God, others around us would see and know that the living God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, is near. So Lord, awaken our hearts to your call today. Awaken our hearts to your presence. And may we say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.